0: You're listening to City Beat, a podcast produced in partnership by Riverwest Radio and online daily UrbanMilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Urban Milwaukee President and Co-Founder Jeremy Janine. Today we'll be joined by Alderman Tony Zielinski, the only candidate that is officially declared for Milwaukee's mayoral race in 2020. We'll spend the next half hour talking with the Alderman about his vision for the city, how Bayview got to where it is today, and what he looks forward to in the next 13 months of the campaign. Stay with us. Alderman Tony Zielinski represents Milwaukee's 14th District, consisting of Bayview and a number of other Southside neighborhoods. He was first elected to the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors in 1988 and re-elected three times. He was then elected to Milwaukee's Common Council in 2004 and re-elected in 2008, 2012, and 2016. He received a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from UW-Milwaukee, an MBA from Cardinal Stritch University, and a law degree from Marquette University Law School but the reason he's our guest today is he is the only candidate that has declared for mayor for Milwaukee's mayoral race in 2020. Mayor Tom Barrett has indicated he may run, but has not publicly said so. And Common Council President Ashanti Hamilton has filed paperwork to have his campaign account converted to a mayor account, but has not officially announced his intention to run. Zielinski, on the other hand, announced way back in November of 2017. So Alderman Tony Zielinski, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So let's jump right in with the the issue you're
0: talking about a lot right now, and that is a proposal for the city to support Governor Tony Evers' proposal to have a $15 minimum wage in the state of Wisconsin. Where where do you stand on that? Explain that to us.
1: I'm I'm strongly in support of it. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of history, in 2007 I was the lead sponsor of legislation that increased the minimum wage in Milwaukee, and uh, that got approved by the full Common Council. Those before the cities lost the the ability or authority to increase their own minimum wage. So what I'm doing right now is supporting Governor Evers' plan to gradually increase the, the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. I don't know how many years it's going to take to get up to $15 you know, uh, dollars an hour. I'm, I'm very interested in working with the governor on a plan that I think that is workable. Um, but clearly, the, the minimum wage that we have right now is far too low. And I think it's totally unacceptable, and we as a community cannot tolerate or accept that type of uh, system. I'll, I'll just, to, to dramatize the, the, the need for this type of legislation, it's over t- between 25% and a third of the people in Milwaukee are working at poverty-level wages, Poverty level wages. I mean, um, how does someone raise a family, support a family, uh, and have a decent life? At, you know, at that uh, at that level of of salary, it, it just you know totally beyond my mind, and it's it, it's unconscionable in my opinion.
0: Well, let's let's gaze into the crystal ball a bit. Let's say you became mayor. We know as a Monday morning, Governor Tony Evers goes from Governor Elect to actually being Governor. Let's say the Republican controlled legislature says. We're not going to support raising the minimum wage, but we will give cities the ability to raise the minimum wage. Is that something you would support for Milwaukee alone?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, In fact, I was opposed to the agreement that the previous uh, governor, Governor Doyle, worked out with the legislature to remove the authority of municipalities to increase their minimum wage. And I think that uh, if we were given that authority, I, I know that we would increase the minimum wage. And we would have a plan that would eventually get us to $15 an hour. Okay. okay. And is there an ideal
0: timeline for you, or is that
1: something you're open that's, to negotiating? Uh, that's all in a state of flux. I'm very interested in working with the governor and, and other people and coming up with a plan to get us to that point in time. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a
0: strong stance on the issue, so that's a good start to this mm-hmm. interview. Let's talk about how we got here, though. In 2017, you declared for mayor. Why declare so early?
1: <clears throat> well, um, you know... the you know, people ask me that question and, you know, my response to them is everybody's asking me that question and they're scratching their head. They go, you know, why two years out? You know, my response to them is um, the reason why people are asking that question is that almost everybody that runs for mayor, um, they start about a year out, year and two months, 11 months, whatever. And, you know. I don't just do what everybody else does. I looked at this particular race at this particular time against this particular incumbent, and I determined that in order for me to win this election, I need to start about two years out. And and that's what I'm doing. And that's the type of leadership this city needs. Because if we continue to elect people that do what everybody else does, we're going to wind up with the same results. And I'll tell you right now, you look at the results out there, that's unacceptable. So tell me a bit about what your vision for the city is then. Well, you know, our first priority has to, meet, has to be to make the central city a much better place to live. Like I referenced earlier, you know, 25 to, you know 25% to to a third of the people in Milwaukee that are, are working are working at poverty level wages. We cannot be a great city if, if, uh, if this is one of the worst places to live in the country if you're African-American you know, uh, if we're going to make Milwaukee a great city, we've got to focus on bringing up the central city. And there's a number of different ways to do that. One of them is through education. Education is the key to everything. Education changes the way you think, the way you act, and the way you look at the world. And with the dismal graduation rates that we have right now, uh, we'll never get, get over that hurdle. We'll just be fighting an uphill battle all the time. And so I think it's incumbent upon the city of Milwaukee to use its influence, its powers, to help improve MPS. And the way to go about doing that is to start off with one school on a pilot program basis, show what we can do with that school, and then replicate that, that model. But The problem is right now that MPS doesn't have the ability to solve the problems themselves. The problems are too far ingrained just for MPS to deal with themselves. Perfect example is Barack Obama High School. 99% of those kids at Barack Obama High School come from poverty-stricken households. I'll repeat that. 99% of the kids at Barack Obama High School come from poverty-stricken households how do you expect these kids you know in those types of environments to excel and exceed in education it's not going to happen um, there's so many other things we need to do on other fronts on economic development for jobs uh again we have to prioritize we do have limited resources and you know one of my big issues that i've been opposed to you know has been the streetcar i know you know um uh, a lot of people on this station probably like it, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a progressive, you know, thinking guy when it comes to things like wages and fighting for social justice and things like that. But, you know, we've got to be frugal and make sure we use our money properly. Right now, we've got a problem in, in the city with with more job training, better job training for the central city. That has to be a priority and building a streetcar downtown, going around in a circle, serving, you know, some of the most affluent areas is not Meeting the the criteria, we need to prior prioritize our spending. We got the lead issue. You know, we've we're not spending anywhere near as much money as we need to spend on adequately dealing with the lead issue, and we could go right on down the li- down the list. If we had lots of money and we didn't have to prioritize like this, sure. You know, um, you know, we, you know, we we could look at the streetcar. But right now, we've got too many other pressing needs. You know, there's been cuts, dramatic cuts in the police and fire department. You know, and I get complaints from people all over the city especially the central city, when they call the police, they don't show up. You know, we've we've got to make that a priority from a public safety perspective than when people call the police that they respond in a timely manner. And also, we've got to make sure that our police department is trained appropriately so that we have better community police relations. I don't think that the city has been anywhere near aggressive enough on community police relations as they need to be. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I was such an outspoken critic of former police chief Flynn. I thought he was terrible for for police relations, and I introduced legislation, actually got legislation approved to um, ask the state to give the Common Council authority to remove the police chief with two-thirds majority vote. The point is, this city is stagnating. We need somebody with drive, with passion, who's going to move this city forward, and that's not happening. I'm that person. I'm going to move this city forward. I'm going to hire the best, brightest, most talented people, and you're going to see things moving in this city. So how are you going to hire those best, brightest, most talented people? I have a very good, good, good eye for that. I'll give you a perfect example, and I, I hate to mention individual people. And before I mention his name, I'll say he's a fine human being, uh, a decent gentleman. But our commissioner of city development, he hasn't been doing the job. Six years ago, the mayor didn't have enough votes to get him approved. He held up the vote for a cu- couple of months so they can swing deals with people to get him approved. This last time, two years ago, we actually voted him down. He got voted down by the Common Council. Again, you know, the mayor used his influence and got people on the council to use a parliamentary procedure to bring it up for a vote again and then delay the vote so they could swing a deal to keep him in there. I'm not going to hire people that don't belong in that office just because... I'm not going to speculate as to the reasons, but we do not have the brightest, most talented people. You look at our health department with the lead issue and outgoing, uh, you know, Bevan Baker. I mean, um, the people that we have, those are just some of the more dramatic examples. There's many other examples that are below the radar screen that the person, average person in the street doesn't even know about that I, you know, that I see. There's so many other more talented people that we can hire to really make things move forward in this city.
0: Well, let's talk about, you hit on the health commissioner and you hit on the lead issue and your Mm -hmm. vision for the city. What can really be done there? Because we know from the Department of Public Works, they estimate $750 million is the cost to replace all the laterals. We know that lead paint is as much, if not a bigger source of lead poisoning than lead uh, leaching into water. What, you know, if you're mayor, what are your policy
1: priorities there? Is it lead paint? Is it lead in water? Is it lead filtering? The first, first and uh, foremost priority is outreach and education. The overwhelming majority of people in this community are not aware of the hazards of lead and what they need to do to protect themselves and their family. So while we're debating, well, we're going to focus more on, on lead in the water and the paint and how much on pain and do this and that, more and more vulnerable kids are being exposed to the hazardous effects of, of lead that could impact them for the rest of their lives in a very negative way. This is the number 1 public health crisis and we need to be much more aggressive in terms of letting people know about the hazards of lead and what they need to do to protect their their families. About a year before Bevan Baker uh, stepped down, I was working with about 30 community-based organizations, grassroots individuals on making changes to the health department and I had a battle the health department every step of the way. We finally got that legislation proof, But, you know, to try and, you know, get anything done in the city, it's it's like pulling teeth. There's no sense of urgency. There's no vision in this city whatsoever. And that's what I'm going to bring to the table for this city. We're going to have a vision. We're going to have a sense of urgency and we're going to get results. So
0: what does that look like then? What is the the budget for 2019 will allocate almost 20 million dollars to different lead programs. A lot of that money was already there. The childhood lead poisoning program already existed although it was very troubled I think anyone would admit. How do you in a cash-strapped city, how do you change that? What what are you doing differently
1: there? Well, you, you have to prioritize your spending again, and I think that if you get the the most talented, qualified people to run these offices, we'll be able to make government operate more efficiently. If you have people that aren't uh, the highest quality people operating these departments, you're not going to be able to make government operate efficiently. I think that we can get more money for the taxpayer buck if we hire the most talented, brightest people uh, for, for, for these positions. And again, going back to my, my, my position, this will probably be the last time I mention it because there's many other issues other than the streetcar. But uh, again, you know, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, the streetcar, that's money that we could be putting into let or any one of a number of other issues you have to prioritize. And, and that's not happening right now.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to bring up the streetcar again. There's a question coming on that, so just know you're not getting out here without talking about it I'm happy to answer it. (laughs) Uh, But you hit on high-quality people, and I want to know, and you also hit on police-community relations. What's your opinion on the new police chief, Alfonso Morales?
1: Oh, I've got. Uh, uh, let's put it this way: he's better than the previous police chief. That's for sure. Um, I I still have to work with him on some other issues, but he's he's a definite improvement over the previous police chief.
0: Is that knowing that the fire and police commission ultimately hires and fires the police chief, but the mayor um, has a lot of influence there? Clearly, is is he someone you would want to keep on as mayor?
1: I'm not going to speculate at this point that that that's a little too early for, for me right now.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about police community relations and right. what I, mean, I think everyone in Milwaukee agrees that could be a lot better. How can they get better? You've been an advocate of cop houses. What is that? What does that mean?
1: Well, um, I've been a strong advocate for for cop houses. Uh, Cop house stands for Community Oriented Policing Houses, and they've been pioneered in Racine and Mount Pleasant. And basically what the police do is they take a house in a high crime area, and they... They position two cops over there, and they're charged with patrolling that immediate area and engaging in positive, constructive community police relations with that immediate neighborhood. Now, in areas where this has been piloted, they've experienced dramatic reduction in crime and significant improvement in community police relations. I'll give you, um, you know, so I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, they have uh, playground equipment, they have libraries in there, and then the police, you know, engage and interact with these residents in a very positive way, talking about uh, different programs that are out there to help them and help their families and their neighborhood. And, you know, they get get to get involved with these people in a very positive, personal way. A perfect example is uh, I had this police officer testify before Uh, some legislation I was introducing on the cop house initiative in Milwaukee and he said this this one individual when they first moved into a neighborhood was quite belligerent towards them but they're trained to respond you know in an appropriate manner and they just try to engage him in a very positive constructive fashion. And uh, it took like about a week (laughs) before they could really have a chance to have a regular conversation with the guy. About a month later, he became, you know, kind of their their buddy and stuff. Like two, three months later, he's going around telling everybody, work with the police. They're here for you. They're here for the neighborhood. They're your friend. Work with them. Okay, that's what we need. So um, I introduced a resolution, got it passed over a year, year and a half ago, to um, get the council on record in support of cop houses. Well, I had a budget amendment introduced at this last budget cycle, just a few months ago. And uh, it was I work with the police chief, uh, Morales, and uh, he said, if you want cop houses, I need funding for two cops on each, on each side of the city, because I wanted to have one on the near south side, one on the near north side. And so I had a budget amendment to do that. And unfortunately, um, uh, the council... Uh, they introduced a substitute amendment for a cop house, which without providing for the police officers there. Now I had the NAACP supportive of that plan, and the police department supported that plan. Okay, how you could have a cop house if you don't have cops permanently stationed there to work in a positive, constructive fashion with those residents? That's a Perfect example of the lack of sense of urgency in this city. Here, everybody knows what a terrible problem we have here with community police relations. And we here we have something that's supported by the NAACP, the police department. It's been it has a proven track record of improving community police relations, and they don't provide the funding for it. Instead, they're going around bragging, "Oh, we passed cop house. We passed cop house," without the cops being permanently stationed in there. You know, that's the type of stuff that's going on in this city, and we need somebody at the helm here who's got common sense who's got vision a sense of urgency to get things moving this it's incredibly frustrating i'm at the stage of of my career right now you know if i can't be mayor and and turn things around it's not worth the investment of my time you know i uh you know i'm very proud of what we've done in my district uh my uh, my district is a lot stronger now than it was in 2004 and uh but I know we could turn around this whole city.
0: Well, that, that's something I wanted to ask you about. Are you pledging then not to run for re-election? Oh yeah, for the council? oh that's
1: no. I'm, I, I made that pledge like over a year ago. I'm, not, you know, it's either up or out for for me. I'm tired of you know spending so much. I have to spend ninety percent of my time pl- dealing with these games by these obstructionists that have no vision or sense of urgency.
0: Well, how is that going to change as mayor? Now you're going to be you versus fifteen people, or you versus the oh. entire city? How
1: does how that different? Well, um when you're when you're mayor you you've got more clout to to make sure that the things you want to have happen for example uh you know the reason why i'm and I, I don't want to mention it again, you know, but there's two different programs uh, that the mayor wants, that he's champion, and he's been able to get through. He's got Rocky Marcoux, the commissioner of city development. The strong majority of the council didn't support him, don't want him. They know that he doesn't do the job, and the mayor keeps using his influence to keep him around. So when you're mayor, you, you've got, a much, you got much more influence uh, to see things get turned around that you want to have turned around. Well, let's
0: talk about you. You mentioned your district. What have you... You've you've been there since 1988. I mean, the county district was different, but you've been uh, on the Common Council since 2004. How has Bayview changed since then, and how do you think that prepares you to be mayor?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, um, I do have a proven track record of helping to turn a, a district around from an economic development, revitalization, business revitalization perspective. In 2004, when I first got elected, Knick Avenue, which is the lifeline through through Bayview, was a bunch of boarded up storefronts. People in the neighborhood were complaining, hey, Tony, get these people to fix up their buildings. You know, let's get some, some, some renters in these buildings. Let's fix it up. Let's get some activity. Let's clean up the, you know, the drug there." some drug dealers and some prostitutes, you know, on, on KK, we had a number of dive bars where there's drugs and stuff like that going on. And those were my marching orders. I cleaned all that stuff up. We closed down on a number of bars and, uh, uh, and we've worked to bring in good businesses. And, uh, uh, I guess one, one of my favorite stories is the one where Cafe Corazon is located right now that used to be called Johnny's Club Carnival. And Johnny was a great guy. I like him, but his his business operation left something to be desired. So when he um when when he retired, uh somebody called me up a week later and they said, "Hey, I'd like to put a, a bar in here." I said, "Well, you want any, you could have any food because I just don't want to have a plain bar, you know, I want to have some food there so we just don't have a bunch of rowdies, you know, going down the the street." And uh he said, "Well, uh, may- maybe if we make enough money. I said, well, how much money are you going to spend to fix up the place at least? And he said about 10 grand. I said, no, you're not. He says, what are you talking about? I says, there's no way I'm supporting you. He says, why not? I says, because the days of dive bars in Bayview are over with a month later, George Morales from cafe Corazon calls me up I'm going, okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking. I've been to cafe Corazon, uh, great food, great business operation, great ambiance, Great, great everything. I said, now we're talking. By the way, how much are you going to spend to fix up the place? Oh, about a half a million. So you know what I said? I said, welcome to Bayview. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, you were the
0: chair of the Licenses Committee for yep. a long time, and Alderman uh, Council President Hamilton removed you this summer. Okay. That was a bit of a surprise, and now viewing it through the lens that Hamilton himself may, may be running for mayor, it, it maybe changes that a bit. But at the same time, a story in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel came out with a number of anonymous sources saying that you are strong-arming people for
1: donations how do you respond to that well it's it's a complete fabrication um, anytime you have anonymous sources that won't come out this was you know completely orchestrated and for for political means and uh, uh, and so that's fine. Hey, you know, if people feel that they have to resort to that level, fine. I don't need to resort to that stuff. I'm going to beat them on the issues. I'm going to beat them on vision. I'm going to beat them on sense of urgency. And when it comes to public safety, when it comes to improving community police relations, when it comes to revitalizing the central city, when it comes down to all these different issues, I look forward to an open public and transparent debate. And when that happens, there's no doubt in my mind that the majority of people in this community are going to feel confident that I'm the guy that can do the job and will do the job.
0: Well, let, let's talk about your one of your favorite topics, and I, I say that jokingly. You voted mm-hmm. for the streetcar in 2011, then you voted against it and were very vocal about it in 2014 mm-hmm. and 2015. Does the fact that it's beating ridership expectations change your uh, perception of it?
1: Well, no. I mean, first off, I hope that the streetcar is a success. You know, I want it to be a success. Um, but I just don't feel that that is high enough in the priority line to warrant the investment of funding that we're putting into that. I mean, if you ask anybody on the street, you know, what's more important, getting funding for, you know, for to deal with lead so that kids and vulnerable populations and kids in our community are not infected with the toxic effect of lead. If you look at and you say, hey, should we be con- you know continuing to cut public safety? We can go right on down the list through a whole variety of, uh, of measures. Um, I think that almost any one of those other issues will clearly come as a higher priority than the, than the streetcar. I mean, we have to be you know, financially prudent with our spending. Um, I don't know if you remember PAP City, it was talked about uh, by Alderman Bauman on the floor the other day. You know, I was one of only three aldermen that used a parliamentary procedure uh, to hold up the vote for a month because they had enough votes to move it forward. We were able to get enough people on board. We saved the city 41, uh, 41 million dollar mistake with the original Paps City proposal because I believed in that, you know. And so, you know, I believe that we've got to make our government operate efficiently uh, to get the best bang for our buck, so we can do the most to help the people in this community. And paps City,
0: for those that don't know, was an entertainment district proposal for what is now the brewery, the neighborhood, in the former, bre- uh, former Paps Brewing Complex that. I think everyone, including Mayor Barrett, who at the time was a champion of the PAP City deal, would agree has been a phenomenal success now, in large part thanks to Joseph Zilber's vision.
1: Exactly. And, you know, thanks for Joe coming forward. Um, and uh, but again, it wasn't easy at the time, you know, to be one of three aldermen, to use a parliamentary procedure to delay the vote so that we can get another proposal in there. So um, and again, I'm th- I'm thankful that you mentioned Mr. Zilber. He's one of the great uh, benefactors in the city of Milwaukee, and we were very fortunate to have had him. So let's talk about the city's budget, though.
0: We've, we've hit on around it a lot, but the big issue is the city is, in terms of revenue sources, very limited. What is your stance on the potential for new revenue sources, a sales tax, a payroll tax, the ability to increase property taxes that was frozen under the Walker administration? How does the city go forward with its budget knowing that there are fiscal challenges in the future?
1: Well, again, you know, before I answer the question, again, you know, you look at the, uh, you know, at the streetcar, and I have to go back to it again, because again, you just dramatize the dire fiscal straits that the city of Milwaukee is in, they're looking at alternative sources of revenue and so forth. And yet, you know we're taking on this the, this albatross of a cost, and once those federal dollars dry up, we're going to have to come up with millions of dollars a year. You know to to, to operate the streetcar, and they're talking about expanding the streetcar. Here we are; they're, we're cutting police officers. We I can't even get police officers for cop houses where we, we have a fraction of the money that we need to spend to protect the people in, in this community led. We've got to focus on revitalizing the central city and get more programming in there to turn that around. We've got to get involved with education. There's all these different things we've got to do and we're going to take on a big expenditure. It, to me, it's financially irresponsible. And I, uh, and I'll, I just look forward to a debate on that, uh, on that topic. But any stance on new revenue sources for the city? Well, um, I'm I'm always open to getting more information. You always get more more information, and we have to be you know creative to try and address these uh, uh, financial difficulties that we're coming uh, that we're facing. All right. Well,
0: let's end on some softball questions. We only have a couple minutes left. Tell me, what's your favorite Milwaukee restaurant?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I you know I was going uh, back and forth on, on this, and I, I'd have to say Cafe Corazon in, in my district. And the reason for that is uh, I'm, I'm a vegan. I'm pretty much 99% of the food I eat is a vegan, and they've got great vegan food. So if you want to have uh, a vegan fajita, you can go to Cafe Corazon, and you can get the most delicious vegan fajita. It tastes like a regular f- fajita, and it's delicious. Um, so beans and barley was up there too. Okay. You know, that's... Um,
0: uh, and you're picking the Cafe Corazon in Bayview in your own district over yeah. the one in River West, It's a little West, of bit course. better than
1: the other one. I don't know what what, what the <laughs> advantage is of the one on KK than it, the, the other side. It's closer to your house, I believe, is the yeah, advantage. <laughs> uh, second question
0: on that. If you could have lunch with one historical Milwaukee figure, and I guess it's going to be a Cafe Corazon, who is it and why?
1: Uh, it'd probably have to be one of the uh, founding fathers, probably a Mr. Kilbourne, uh, just to— you know, talk with with him, and you know, and what his vision was, and to talk to him about what what happened right now, where things are at, and and where we are now versus what his vision was. I think that would be fascinating.
0: All right, and the ultimate softball question for any Milwaukee politician: What is your favorite festival and why?
1: Well, they're they're all they're all great. It's tough. Can, can I choose all of them? We're, well, we're I, known as the city of festivals. I,
0: I had one I thought for sure you were gonna pick, but.
1: Really? Okay. Let's see here. I would say, um, let's. Oh, that's the toughest question all all morning. (laughs) When you've got so many great festivals to choose one. Okay, but if I have to choose one, um, let's see. I'd say um, uh, Italian Fest.
0: Ah. Okay. I thought for sure it was going to be the Bayview Bash. Going with the district favorite. Oh, the Bayview
1: Bash, of course. But that was. (laughs) I I I I thought I'd try to be more. All right. Citywide in my approach. Uh, Alderman, if people want to follow your campaign, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to Tony for Milwaukee uh, There's no spaces. It's just Tony, F O R, Milwaukee Mayor.com. Real easy to follow. You got all the information on there that you need and then some
0: all right we'll post links to that on the podcast page for that uh, alderman tony Zelinski, thank you for joining us a note that this interview does not constitute an endorsement our doors are wide open to anyone that wants to declare for mayor and join us but i'd like to thank alderman Zelinsky for being the first to sit in the hot seat alderman thank you anything else the voters should know
1: no uh thank you very much for having me i feel honored to be the first person interviewed uh you know by your show here and uh i follow your uh your your program and i follow your um your your online articles and stuff and i I think you do a fine job thanks for having me all right well we'll take that as an endorsement of us thank Mm -hmm. you for joining us